This is episode number 45 with Julia Andrews. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, and welcome back. I've got a great show for you today. I've got on Julia Andrews, who's the founder and creator of The Art of Feminine Selling, which is a sales methodology that highlights empathy and vulnerability as a strength with an emphasis on mindset and authenticity so that women can find the financial success that they envision for themselves without being afraid of selling. Now, if you have a product or service that you have out in the world and you feel reluctant to sell, you don't feel comfortable with the word sales, you feel disingenuous, you just don't really know how to approach it, then you're going to love the tips that she shares today. And I also think you're going to love hearing her story, how she helped her mother raise her siblings and how at the age of just 17, having moved to the United States where she didn't speak any English, she went out and found a job, but not any job, a job in sales where she had to sell in English. So she tells a great story of how sales actually became her second language before English. And her whole journey is so interesting. And true to what she teaches about vulnerability being strength, she bravely shares a vulnerable time in her life in this interview that I didn't know anything about until we started to talk. And I just know that when you hear this story and her journey, it's going to encourage you no matter what your history has been to know what's possible. So I look forward to introducing you to Julia Andrews. I know you're going to love the great tips and her story. So let's get into the show. Hey, Julia, thanks for joining me today. Hi, I'm happy to be here. So you've got such a interesting story. And I actually love asking my guests to start with their backstory. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what got you into the world of teaching sales. Oh, boy. <laughs> so we're going to take it back uh, to 1997. Okay. Uh, 1996. I was 17 years old at that time. And I found myself with inheriting three kids. What does three that mean? Children. What do you mean? So what happened was that in a nutshell, my parents divorced. We moved from Mexico to mm. San Diego. My mom was a single mom uh, with five kids wow. and she had to basically have two full-time jobs to barely, you know, pay the rent and make ends meet. And my sister, my oldest sister and myself found ourselves uh, now not only having a full-time job going to school, but also having to work nights and weekends to help my family, you know, um, you know, buy food, literally groceries. So yeah. our kind of life really from morning to end, like, like it just, sh it, it changed. It, it was something very, very different. Yeah. And that was the very first time that I found myself in the, in the need, not only like just to buy myself a pair of sneakers or some magazines or something like that. Like I actually had real responsibilities. Um, so 
I, the, the, <laughs> I'm going to date myself here, but <laughs> I remember looking at the classifieds <laughs> and I was just You're like, talking to a Gen X here, so yes, you're in good company. Yes. No worries. <laughs> I know I'm older than you actually, Julia. So. <laughs> but I remember looking at the classifieds, barely knowing a lick of English. And I was seeing, you know, uh, these ads saying like, control your income and make as much as you can and as much as you want <laughs> and stuff like that. And it all was sales. Mm. So not knowing anything about it, I was like, why would anybody, you know, earn $4 and 75 cents an hour versus, you know, controlling your income. So there I go, you know, seeking a job uh, as a salesperson and Mm. it didn't take much, take much for me to actually get the job, of course. So just picture this, you know, a 17 year old kid with a script walking into people's homes, reading verbatim because half of the time I didn't know even what I was saying. Wait, because it was in English? Is that why? It was in English, your first yeah. language. You were just learning the language. I, I was mean, just learning English, yeah. So it was wow. kind of like, if you think about it, now that I, in hindsight, it's like, what desperation will get you to do? Mm. Like, I was not even concerned about so- sounding dumb or funny or, or, or wrong or with broken English. All I needed to do is get through my script. Mm. And it was a good script because, um, you know, it, it was lengthy. It was like, it, it, it helped me kind of uh, make a presentation and it ended, you know, helping me to sell. What were you selling? I was going door to door, knocking on doors and selling cut cutlery, kitchen knives. <laughs> I love it. Oh my goodness. This is a good story, Julia. And yeah, so it, it was one of those things where um, I learned so funny. I even mentioned this, that in the, in my very, very first sales job, I got to learn very fundamental uh, sales uh, trainings, sales lessons, uh, which was one of them being don't take no seriously, like don't take no personally. You know, it's never about you. It's about the perceived value, if they need what you have to offer or not. So that was super important because can you imagine people saying no to me, slamming the doors in my face, having seconds to connect and, you know, either move on to the kitchen table or onto the next, you know, house. Um, Another huge lesson was, I remember when I was not basically selling and I was like, what am I doing? I've been working on this for over almost two months and I'm not making a sale. Um, and there were these college kids that were, um, selling and making between 3000 and $5,000 a week selling cutlery paying for college. So there's another block that I didn't inherit. I just saw people doing it, you know, social proof. And I'm like, if they can do it, I also can do it. Mm. That was another big one that I think, um, holds us back maybe a little bit later in our lives because we get in our heads, But when you don't have time to do that, you don't even entertain that idea. Mm. And I went to them and I said, listen, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. What they told me is something I even teach to this day. They didn't ask me, Julia, let's see your presentation skills, because obviously they knew I could barely speak English, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought I was being um, smart by going to uh, my neighbors in my neighborhood, walking around, you know, East San Diego, which, you know, nobody has any money there um, to make a sale. And what they said to me was, Julia, where are you going to sell these knives? Like geographically, where are you going? And I basically said, you know, the neighborhoods around my te- my, my little mm-hmm. you know, area. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. You're not, these are not qualified buyers because the sets are between 25 to 800, $2,800. Nobody can purchase them. The rent. Wait, how much were they? 
25 to 2800. Okay, so those people who are making the money, they were literally just selling like two sets a week. Right. Or, or exactly. Cause they would make up to 50% commission. Oh, okay. So maybe three or four sets a week or something. Yeah. Wow. Or something like that. So wow, like, there wasn't a product to a uh, client match in that market. So he's, they're like, you're not going to this town anymore. You're going to La Jolla, Del Mar, Coronado, Carmel Valley, Rancho Santa Fe, like, you know, and on and on and on. Right. Um, and I was like, Oh, okay. So when I figured out that it was really the people that I was going to sell before, I mean, their rent or these, these sets were more than their rent. Yeah. So nobody, not- of course, did yeah. they let you in their house though? Were they like kind yeah. of, they did, yeah. they listened to your presence. So in a way it was practice for you, even if you know, and to build your English skill, speaking mm-hmm. skills and presentation skills, <laughs> even if, you know, they weren't able to buy in a way, it was sort of a, a warmer audience, even though it was yeah, a cold audience. I don't even audience. think they thought, like when I dropped the price, I had no uh, they didn't know what. notion of what a knife should be that I was just like, I guess that's what the sets run for. <laughs> so what would they, what would the reactions be like? Just like jaw drop, like the reactions were really like, I remember them being like, um, first they were in shock that I was actually selling these. And I remember one woman one time said to me like, wow, if I had the money, like she actually wanted, oh. she's like, wow, this is really great. Oh. Uh, but the, the majority of them were like, um, no, no, no. <laughs> But I was just like, I mean, I guess they took pity of me or something. They're like, oh, this kid, you know, and I loved it because I would get fed, you know, most of the time. That's where I would eat, you know, they would like, okay, do you want some food? I was like, okay, great. So it was one of those things where I, it was great. The things that I didn't know. It was ignorance great. was bliss in this case. Ignorance really did pay off for you. Like not knowing what you didn't know allowed you the vulnerable allowed you to be vulnerable and just do your thing. Yeah, it's a beautiful it's- story. Oh my goodness. Okay, so you start going to the La Jolla's and the high the rent world, yeah. areas, and what happened? <laughs> and then, so after I just uh, you know I started selling. Like I started, I recognized that there was a, you know, a market for different price points. Mm -hmm. And I even remember one woman telling me, this was in La Jolla specifically, we had two sets that had different uh, color of the, you know, where you would grab the the handle. They were different colors. And she's like, oh my God, we have a problem. And I was like, oh my God, she's going to throw me out. Like what, what's the problem? And she's like, I don't know if I want the white or the brown. Wow. And I'm like, what a great problem to have. I don't know how it turned out, but she ended up buying both. And then from there, I, I would also <laughs> offer combos. It was fast. It was so great. And it would just, it, it, the lessons of seeing, you know, how people in different markets respond mm. to different things was so um, instrumental in, in my, you know, early on in my sales career. Then after a year of me practicing and talking about it, I no longer needed a script to walk mm. into, you know, a high house. And I remember specifically the turning point for me was one time I went to, I did a presentation. I would always ask to have both the husband and the wife. That's another thing that you need to understand, depending what is it that you're selling. If it's something that needs to, you know, for the both people to make a decision, it's important to have them obviously. So you don't have to go back and forth and all this other stuff. But wait, I have to ask then. So would you go when you knew both of them would be would around. Ask, you would so have to go the, in the evenings or on a weekend or something. Yeah, like, so were you strategic what, about that? 
what I, what I, yeah, they used to teach us about this. So first it was Ah. just knocking on doors and then we would ask for referrals of people they knew and we would give them like a knife or something like a bonus. And then from there I started building up my referral (laughs) business and I basically would call and say, Oh, you know, so-and-so referred you and I'm going to come over and it's great if your husband would be there, your wife would be there, whatever. And then they would be like, Oh, it's okay. And, and then they would both be there. And that's what happened here. The husband happened to be at this place. And we were making small talk, you know, they, they bought a set. I was filling the order form. And I remember, you know, with my little spare money that I would keep from my sales, I would buy money magazine and clippers because I was obsessed to learn how to make money. So I knew how to talk about a Roth IRA and all this other stuff, you know, when I was 18 and I remember he, he said, Hey, I work at this place and he hands over his card. And I remember recognizing the little bull on the thing Uh and because of the magazines and before I could stop myself I remember saying like oh my god I would always want to work at Merrill Lynch and in my mind I went like this like I covered myself like what did you do they're gonna throw me out of the house (laughs) um and that's when you know the story gets a little bit more interesting because he's like he's like well I, he knew that I was going to school at a junior Mm. college. I wasn't going to school at a university or anything like that. And he said to me, well, normally I would not offer any positions or anything, you know, like that to anybody that's going to a um, community college. Like it was so intense. I was like, wait, Julia, you asked him for a job. I said, I would always want to work at Merrill Lynch. You put it out there. Yeah, I put it before I could say any, before I could stop myself from saying it. You were so excited. Got it. You were just so excited. It came right out. It came right out. Oh, I love this. Okay. (laughs) And so he started saying how he would, you know, typically reserves any positions or anything like that for university students. And then he said, but, you know, if they sell like you, and if you're serious, Hmm. come down Monday morning to downtown San Diego to my office and we can talk. So come Monday morning, I was at Merrill Lynch in downtown. I got a job. That's a great story. No, wait. Did I read, though, that he was like, oh, you've sold all of my neighbors like he knew? Yes. So, well, at that moment, I don't th- I didn't know that those were his neighbors because it happened when I got to the actual offices yeah. and I started meeting the advisors. The advisors had obviously portraits or picture frames of their, you know, families and their wives. So a lot of them, you know, if, let's say they didn't, I couldn't get them together. I was like, oh my God, you're married to so-and-so? Oh yeah, I sold her knives. Oh my God, you're the knife girl? And I was like, How oh my God, so it, was, it was so hilarious. So that was a running joke inside the office. Oh my God, um, I love that. So they already knew you or their wives knew you at some point. Yeah. Oh, that's great. You're like, oh, they every time they cooked, they were thinking of you yeah. with the knives. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is such a great story. Um, so sales didn't necessarily come naturally to you in the beginning, but it sounds like within a year of that, it all actually became so natural that you say that sales is your second language. Yeah, I said sales is my second language and English is my third because you were basically trying, I was at the same time, I mean, I was trying to sell, I was trying to learn English and comprehend what is it that I was saying at the same time. And I think that what, where I became so enamored and so um, comfortable in that area was that part of my past Mm. was in a very um, 
a very, very hard, very challenging family life. Mm. And there was a lot of shame and, and a lot of insecurity and a lot of guilt and a lot of things that happened. Um, my, my father basically, um, uh, I, I experienced sexual abuse. Oh, I'm sorry, Julia. Yeah. And the way that this oh, relates was that I was always, I always felt guilty for what had happened to me, even though I was eight years old. I always felt this shame about thinking that I had provoked this that happened. And when I was able to talk to people now in a sales conversation, I felt that they didn't know anything about my past. Mm. It was an even exchange of information and I could be myself. And I could naturally be genuine and I could, there was like no baggage, if you will, when I was having these conversations that I didn't make, I didn't connect those two and two together, Michelle, until very later in life, mm. like very late in life when I was doing a lot of work on myself mm. and I understand why I took so much joy in, in actually aligning products and services with people. Mm. It was because it was never about getting them to buy. It was always finding what was the struggle? What was the thing that they were needing help support in mm. and make sure that we had a match with a product or service or program that could help them with that. So I know it, it's, it's kind of very different from me, but I felt that I was the, my most genuine, my most true self when I was in, a, in an exchange like that with another person. Oh my goodness. First of all, I'm in tears and I'm so sorry that you experienced that, especially as a little girl. Like that's so heartbreaking. So my heart is with you with that and your strength and your courage and, you know, your ability to just take care of your siblings and to carry all of that and to find success. Like, I think you're amazing. And so thank you for sharing your vulnerability. I obviously didn't know this part of your journey and, um, yeah, I thank you for sharing it. And, um, I think you'll help other people listening. I really do because you know, you talk about shame and there's no, you did nothing wrong. And so that's, you know, but to have to carry that and then to, to try to overcome that is, you know, is where your, a lot of your resiliency came from. So thank you for your bravery for sharing that. And again, I'm so, so sorry that that was your experience and look at you. I mean, nobody can, you'll see, I want everyone to go on Instagram because <laughs> we did it behind the scenes and I want you to see this beautiful, beautiful woman from inside and out sitting in front of me right now. Um, oh goodness. I have like all this emotion right now. Um, so, uh, <laughs> sales, uh, yeah, <laughs> let's get sales. So that's like such a loaded word for so many entrepreneurs. And it brings up just like I gave a talk once on networking 101 to a bunch of PhD students at Harvard. And I knew that their their con their association with networking was negative. It was salesy and disingenuous and just everything about it made them uncomfortable. So I was like, we need to reframe your definition and think of it as connecting. And I know yeah. with sales, your business is connect to close. So yeah. what is your, what, let's hear your definition of sales, Julia. So selling for me, I mean, it's, it has, I mean, I, I can understand uh, when, when people have this negative connotation, but because I, I look at it from a point of view, my reframe around selling that I invite any, anybody that, that's hearing to think about is how can I be a conduit 
for someone mm. to help them with elevate their life in in a in 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 whatever way, shape, or form you can. Um, this could be if somebody's struggling in an area, how can you provide a service that would really alleviate that, that would really enhance their life? Um, if somebody is wanting to achieve something but does not have the steps and you happen to have a program, a mm. service, a product that can really help them, coming from a, pla- a clean space of, of aligning, not being attached to them mm. saying yes or no, but actually um, positioning yourself, there's steps that go into into being the the uh, the obvious choice, but but you're not going to be serving every single person. Mm. You're going to be serving that one niche, that one uh, market space that actually needs what you have to offer, and that raises their hands and says, "You know what? I actually would like to learn more," because we want to be at a, at a, an equal stage where they have interests, mm. right? And you have uh, potentially what they need. And you discover that in your conversation around. That's why it's so important to be active listeners. It's so important to ask really good questions to uncover if you are the right person. Or maybe you can refer them out to someone that would Mm. be a a better fit. So selling to me is not about pushing somebody in a corner and saying, you must do this or else your life is going to go to, you know, it's not going to happen or it's not, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. I think it's about empowering the person, um, allowing them to commit to themselves for something they want and helping them and showing them the way of what it's possible, painting the picture, making sure that you are building a a logical case and make sense financially for this Mm. individual. That's why qualifying your audience is, is uber important. If you never want to be feeling like you're convincing anybody, because we're not in that business. We're in the business of this is what I have and this is what can happen and this is the investment and this is the outcome. Does it make sense for you? Mm. And I love that you use sales to empower other women based on the story you just shared. And so um, it makes sense that it's like it gave you a sense of self that made you feel confident and whole and yourself. And so you're sharing that with other women. And I I just love that so much. Um, I think of Sarah Blakely sometimes, you know, the founder of Spanx. Yeah. I mean, what she sold. Yeah. Who doesn't love Sarah? And I mean, (laughs) so she's and she seems like she has an amazing personality and and has such a great story. But I think about her having sold fax machines. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about this, knowing that I was going to be speaking to you. And then she started Spanx. And, you know, obviously we know she's built it to a billion dollar company and owns 100% of it. Amazing story. But I feel like people who naturally sell or know how to sell are successful in whatever they do. I feel like whatever Sarah started, like she apparently had done stand-up comedy too. Like I think (laughs) she would have been successful. She just had that in her. So I'm just curious your thoughts because there are going to be people who think, well, it doesn't come naturally to me. I'm not like Julia. I'm not like Sarah. Uh, How... How do I embody this in a way where I can be successful too? You know, that's a question that I think should be always addressed because we want to make sure that it doesn't feel like, oh, you have to have this or you have to have that. And I mean, if we, if we were, we go back just a little bit on my story, I didn't speak English. Mm. I, um, I, I, I was coming in, you know, never, I never sold in my life. 
So I, I didn't necessarily have experience in this. Mm. I had such a craving and desire to connect with people. Mm. I think it starts right there. I had so much desire for people to know who I was and I didn't want them to know my past because I thought that they would judge me, right? That Mm. in my mind, that's what was happening. I think that in order for you to be successful in selling and enrolling and talking about what is it that you do or talking about your business, first and foremost, you have to have a service heart, a serving heart. Mm. You want to start with how can I serve this person? How can I make this person's life better? And then the technicality can take over. How can I build a sales process that actually highlights what I do, Mm. uncovers how I can help someone, and actually it's a natural flow and a natural conversation when I um, ask them, you know, to become my client. It just feels like the next natural progression of the conversation. They're qualified. They can afford me. They've expressed interest in what is it that I do. Now it's just a matter of identifying if we're the right fit. If your energy jives and resonates with them. If they really like what they're hearing, um, I don't think nobody, I mean, no offense to anybody, but we're not curing cancer here. I don't think that you're doing something that it's not already, somebody else hasn't already done. Right. But my point is there's a lot of different messengers for the message. Mm. So everybody's going to resonate maybe with one person versus the other person. And don't take yourself out of the game because, oh, well, you know, that that's been already invented or that's been already done. It's like, you know, Steve Jobs and Microsoft, you know, with Bill Gates, great, amazing people. They had a vision, but if, if Steve Jobs would have been like, forget about it, I'm never going to compete. It's, you know, the, the personal computer has already been done. We'd have never have had, you know, what we have, which is, I mean, I'm an Apple fanatic. I have stock. I, I love them, right? <laughs> so, so it's just, it's, it's just really believing in what you have to offer. And that's one of the things that I really teach is about, you know, what is your purpose? What is your mindset? And let's start looking around. Let's get, let's get almost like a, like an assessment. And mm. then work up from there. Where are you? Do are you a little bit? Are you fuzzy and unclear about your purpose? Why you're doing what you're doing? And let's get really honed in on why do you believe that people must know about this? Then we can start putting together the engine around where's your mindset at? Because if your mindset is this is never going to work, this is so like like negative. I should say, mm. it doesn't matter what kind of coach you get and what kind of scripts you have or what process. Nothing's going to ever work because. Mm. It's, uh, I forget who there is a, this quote and it's so uh, important. And I, I think it's Warren Buffett. I think he says, nobody can help. It's, it's about a ladder. It's mm. like, it doesn't matter how hard you're pushing. If the person doesn't want to climb it, you're never going to get there, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. it's so true. And if a person only needs to see the first step in the staircase, then that person has a, a, a much better opportunity because they're not making stories about why it's not going to work. They're actually making stories about why it will work mm. and why it's important to, to sell it, to present it, to bring it to the marketplace. So there's a lot of conviction that has to come from you thinking that it can work. I did not have an option. This had to work. Right. I had to produce it. Like, didn't matter how, because my siblings would not eat, yeah. literally. So it was more about your, your brain, I think, and this is where, where I think a lot of my, my tenacity in my mind comes from Mm -hmm. is that 
your your mind will give you what you want. If you want to look at all the negatives and all the reasons why not and all the obstacles and all, I mean, you will find that evidence. But if you're really looking at, I need to find an answer, your brain will go to work to find an answer of why it can work. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy. So let's make that clear. (laughs) But it will, you will start moving the needle. And the more you align with people that have that same uh, mentality about moving forward, not necessarily like uh, not looking at obstacles, but looking at obstacles as a way to just get better, to course correct, it is where you're going to find yourself um, really engaging in these conversations, no matter what you do, no matter your background. But the first step in everything is has to be your willingness to get better. Okay, this is so good. And you actually just gave so much value in all of that and different questions you would ask. But let's take it and like break it down even more. So very like almost systematic, like a framework. Let's give top three tips for somebody starting. So... Yes. So there is the mental side, clearly, mm-hmm. but there's also the strategy side. Yeah. The strategy for me, the, the first thing that I would say is, um, I don't care who you are. If you're not qualified, unless you're selling, you know, $10 trinkets or whatever, if you're selling things that are of a sizable investment, you know, a thousand dollars, two thousand, five, ten, whatever, it's it's you have to qualify your audience. Because you have to make sure that you are talking, and I'll give you an example on this, that you are talking to viable prospects Mm -hmm. because there is such a thing as talking to a hundred prospects and maybe closing two sales, which happened to me, or talking to a hundred people and closing a boatload more Mm -hmm. if they're qualified. Right. Which is what did happen to you when you switched and sold to people who could actually afford the knives. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that was one, one example. Another reason example was I did. So I'll, you know, I'll keep the privacy obviously for, for these clients. But one time when I was first starting out, I wasn't really understanding. I was a, a little bit in a, sh- in a shock and it has to do with my, my first point of why it's so important to qualify. I wasn't understanding why were people not closing clients if they had businesses? Like I, I just, I, I really needed to get down to the nitty gritty to know where the biggest disconnect was happening. And I sold for three months for someone. Um, and I said, I will, this is my market research. I'm going to go ahead and just, con- you know, uh, jam the phones and, 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 and see what we're getting. Right. So I took a hundred calls and I think I did two or three sales. Was this for a client you did this? Well, not technically a client because I was not getting paid. Okay. Well, I, I, it was I market research. Did, but yeah. It was market research. Yeah. Okay. Um, at the end, I did get paid just for Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that was very painful. And then my assessment was, these people are not qualified. These people don't know why they're jumping on the phone. This, like, we need to build out a process. That's where the biggest disconnect is happening. And then I go out and I take in another client. Now, this is a paid client. And in three months, I sell about $104,000. Wow. Same product. Same product as you were selling the first time? Very much so, yeah. Okay. And it it, what what the difference was is we, we implemented qualifying tools 
in order for the people that were getting on the phone with me or with the team were actually qualified. They were interested not only in the product, they were financially uh, of it, you know, able to make this, uh, a financial investment. And now it's about, you know, the nuts and bolts of why. So that's point number two, not point number one, qualifying is very important. You can do this in your messaging, in your marketing, in your intake questionnaires, in your phone, you know, uh, 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 what do you call it, uh, to questionnaires and also applications, making sure that you're polarizing the audience so they move forward if they like you and they you push them back if you don't. So Wait, can I just one. ask one question on that? Because I've seen sometimes when you're looking, I don't know, for coaching or something, they'll say, you know, what's your budget? Is that, is, are they trying to pre-qualify you to figure yeah. out? If, yeah, they're just, that's, I mean, I is mean, that an example? <laughs> yeah, give us, give us, give us an example of how you would suggest doing it because you're about connecting. So I would, uh, in, in the intake questionnaire, first and foremost, context is very important. So if you go to have a call with me, my contest is going to be very uh, sales and business driven. And it's going to feel like, well, of course, she's going to ask me, you know, what do I make a month? What do I want to make? What's the target? What's all this other stuff? It's, it's a context. If you're someone that is maybe, um, uh, you know, a love coach or a health coach or something that, how do you weed that in? So at the very end, I think it's important for you to make those questions. One could be something like, um, am I, I, I am in a position uh, to make an investment uh, of X amount. I, I highly recommend putting an amount or putting like mid to high four figures, mid to low five figures, something so someone can get a sense of what the investment is. Mm -hmm. I like to know what the investment is mm -hmm. because if I jump on a call, I want to know that if this is a fit, I'm able to pull the trigger. It's true. You as the potential buyer wants to have a sense yeah. of that because you don't want to have that awkward conversation. Like, yeah. That. No, there's no. nothing to think. It's, right. it's, I can't afford it. Right. It's, so, it's already no. So we shouldn't be talking. It's already no. Exactly. Right. And now so you're and making now, it yeah. easier. And, and nobody's can, wasting each other's time either. Nobody's wasting each other's time. So you can ask something like that. What best describes you in the situation? One could be, you know, I am ready to take the leap. Um, I am willing to invest not only time, but financial resources of X amount, minimum or maximum or whatever the amounts are. Because I have clients that have different price points, mm. but put a minimum on there. So they understand what they're getting themselves into. Uh, and then from there, or, you know, at this point, uh, of, uh, financial investment of this size is not within my, uh, budget. Mm -hmm. Um, and then another one could be for market research. Um, if you have a DIY do it yourself course, I would love information on that or right. something to that degree where you're, understanding the people, maybe the people coming to me are all asked, you know, marking off the last box. Something's wrong with my messaging. I'm attracting people that are not necessarily on the top one. So do you offer them a lower level package? Is that the idea? Or do you stay clear on who you want to serve and only create marketing and services and offerings for them? Well, that's up to the, that's up to the person listening. What, so that's why we're so important to, so to answer your question first, yes. I have a course that I teach, you know, consultative selling 101. It's called the art of feminine selling. I also teach uh, or, or offer, you know, one-on-one -on -one private coaching. And then I also offer, um, you know, uh, working with companies and that's a whole different, you know, investment uh, mm -hmm. structure. But I, I put them all in there so that they tell me where they're at and yeah, it also great. allows me to understand is my marketing, where is it like, what, um, what court is it hitting? 
when they're reading it, that, that I'm attracting, you know, maybe the person that wants just the course or maybe the person that is, you know, the one-on-one or, or so on and so forth. So it's important to have that dialed in. Yeah, no, that's great. Okay. So number one, qualify. Qualifying. Number two, you absolutely have to have a sales process in your conversation. Like you cannot just wing it. Okay. But what does that mean? What does that even mean? So people don't even know what that means. What's a sales process? Understanding. Okay. So I have, I'm going to read off really quickly something here to give somebody something to where they can write, or they can actually like picture this. I teach my students what's called the anatomy of an enrollment conversation. What does an enrollment conversation include? And it includes, you know, breaking the ice and setting the expectations. So hello, my name is so-and-so. Thank you for being on the phone call. Um, Give give me the rundown. You know, on today's conversation, we're going to touch on this. We're going to touch on that. And then at the end, if this resonates with you, if this is something that actually makes sense to you, I'm going to show you how to take it further. How does that sound for you? Sign me up. That was good. (laughs) Right there. I did three things. I I broke the ice. I set the intention and I I actually got your permission to make you an offer. I love that. You got the permission to make an offer. That's genius. Okay. Okay. Right. And that's where a lot of people get in, in trouble where they're not letting them know that, hey, if this, I mean, come on, we're on a sales call. We're, I'm going to make you an offer if I think that it's a fit. I'm not going to force you in it. But I think there's a lot of people that don't, don't know they have to say that. You have to address the elephant in the room. Yeah. I, I've been <laughs> sold to by, and I won't obviously mention names either, but sure. I was sold to by someone who's a genius salesperson, but it actually didn't feel good, even though I was sold because it was sort of like, well, if you have to talk to your husband about it, then, you know, we're not a good fit. It was There was a little bit of shaming or a little bit of that. And I come from the finance world working with, you know, nothing against my male counterparts, know, but it's very male. Working, yeah, it's a very different energy. So I just say, like, bring it up front at the beginning. Yeah. And and if somebody says, you know what, I'm not ready yet. I just wanted information. Fantastic. Let me give you some information. Let me let me talk about it. And and I already know that they're not they're a little bit apprehensive, maybe because they had a negative experience. Yeah. And I know to change my tone in that moment and that this will not necessarily move forward if they if it's not even a fit or something. But I, you you have to listen to, you know, the feedback that you're you're being given. But they will appreciate you more for being upfront with them about what is this conversation about. Totally. And really nurturing that what you said to me was like a nurturing way of saying, I'm hearing you. You're not ready. Let's continue. Here's data. Like, here's more information. Here's my free stuff that I produce. But there's no, you know, come, you'll be on my list. Like, come back if and when you're ready. Totally. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so step three. Step three is start qualifying process. So you start, you have to have questions to uncover where they're at. And this is your responsibility as the person that is basically trying to see if, if, the, if, if the, the, the prospect or your potential client is the right person for you. So questions about their pains, their struggles, why are they on the call with you? What's happening? And in the moment, I also tell my students, you have to get set of many commitments along the way. You cannot just ask for the business and, and have this be a, the grandiose commitment. No, it, it, a person, if you think about yourself as a buyer, think about the last time you made a really big investment about something. You probably made up your mind before you would a, you were asked to make so the, true. 
the purchase. 100%. So true. You know, you kind of know I'm ready to be sold. Yes, I'm ready. This sounds great. Everything that I'm hearing, I'm liking. So the many commitments are around time. Mm -hmm. You have to address how much time this involves. The many commitment also is about change. Are they willing to step into change? Because there has to be a change happening in order to get a better result. Are they open to collaborating? Mm. Are they going to collaborate with you? Are they going to be standing by you doing the work or are they going to participate or what, what's going to, you know, what's the, where are they there? Um, uh, are they committed to make an investment with their money? Mm. You know, are they, that has to be brought up and talked about and, and it depends on your industry so that it feels like it belongs when you are mentioning it, right? So it yeah. doesn't feel so, so cookie cutter. So the commitments along the way. And then I have two steps, five and six, that I use interchangeably depending on where the conversation is going. One is obviously you're gauging the pulse of the client. So you are perception checking what I heard you say is this, et cetera. So that that sometimes, you know, uh, if you think about it, we could be having the same conversation, this conversation and you're interpreting it one way and I'm interpreting it another way. So you want to make sure that you're both on the same page. And then from there, share some stories, seed with stories, talk about a potential client that you had that had the similar situation and how, you know, if they're, if you're sensing and noticing a little bit of fear coming on or a little bit of, of, um, of, uh, you know, they're not hundred percent sure about this. Um, people connect. So our brains are hardwired to understand story patterns. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about a story, you are, are feeding into their, maybe if they're being skeptic, maybe if they're thinking like, is this person going to take advantage of me? Um, well, if, if another person can do it, that is in a similar scenario as me, maybe I can too. Mm. So the openness of possibility comes in. And then the last two is pick a closing strategy. Cause I, 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 uh, I teach out of the 23 years experience that I have, you know, what closing strategy is the best way. Um, and then from there you set a plan, you tell them what you recommend based on what you, you know, you, you gathered in that information session, and then you invite with a smile and, you know, you ask them if, if they want to be your client. <laughs> but what is a closing strategy? What would that look like? Um, I have my favorite one. I'll share with you one of them. My, my favorite one is, is the one that I use the most is assume the role of an advisor. Assume the role of an educator. You're educating your client. Mm-hmm. You're not convincing them. You're giving them the information they need for them to make an educated decision with you. Mm-hmm. So when you are looking at yourself as I'm going to educate you on this, I'm going to show you the ins and outs, you are removing yourself from the equation as being the person that's driving to giving them all the facts so they can make an empowered decision, basically. Yeah. So what we talked about, though, was an inquiry call, right? So do you suggest that everyone do that? Because it's true. Once you make a connection by phone, it also gives both parties an opportunity to connect and see if there is a synergy if, you know, because sometimes there is, is, there's a disconnect just based on personality. You're like, oh gosh, I don't necessarily want to coach this person or or they're feeling, I don't really like the energy of this coach. So so you always, you always suggest doing it. I recommend, so two different things, depending, like for instance, I'll give you two examples. One can be like, let's say you're at an event and you're taking names and you're setting up little mini mail uh, discovery sessions with people. Um, you can have a discovery session where where all you talk about is just what is it that you do? It's a 15 minute short and sweet 
What is it that you do? What is it that you're looking to achieve? And let's see if I can help you. And let's from there, if we both say like, you know what? I want more information. I, this seems good. Then you set them, you, you send them to a more of a formal consultation where they complete an, an um, inquiry, uh, inquiry form, yeah. exactly, an intake form. Then you talk about, you know, all this information you want to gather it, make sure that when you have your conversation, you have something to present, you have some, some guidance mm-hmm. and you're not wasting 10 or 15 minutes in collecting information when you're on the phone with them. So that's very valuable, not only for me, but for them, time efficiency. Um, if you, I typically, for instance, do the consultation first. If I'm at events, I do the mini discovery session right there at 15 minutes. It'll give me a, a, a quick overview. Um, and this one, uh, we spend either 30 to 45 minutes kind of looking at uh, where we're at, where we want to go, um, how I can support them, how I can serve them, how long have they been, you know, looking to make this change, this move. If they've if they've uh, invested in other coaches, what has been uh, the outcome? So those are conversations that we elaborate in the moment. Mm-hmm. And then from there, if, uh, I mean, I've, I've had conversations where I'm like, I don't think I can, I'm your best person. You've you said it. Yeah. yeah. And then you refer them to somebody who say, you yeah. know, based on what your challenges are, I know somebody who's actually going to help you more. Like yeah. I do f- sales, you really need branding or something. Like right. That. Or, or messaging or, messaging. or marketing or right. this and that. And I yeah. feel like without me, yes, it's a, it's important piece, but they probably need this other piece much faster or, or, or better. Yeah. So, so you've sold service stuff with Merrill Lynch, mm-hmm. right? That's, yeah. and then you've sold product, the knives. Yeah. So based on what you're talking about in teaching, where are the, the differences or where are the similarities are? I mean, is so, the process the same or how is it different? I think that, so first and foremost, um, you want to make sure that the service and the conversation, in my opinion, is the same because mm-hmm. you are building the story about, you know, if, if you're selling, um, I don't know, I don't want to say cars, but it doesn't matter. Like, tell me if you're, if you're selling T-shirts, mice, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. If you're selling like, like when I would sell knives and they think like, well, how can you paint a story? Super easy. Do you have kids? The person will say yes. Okay. How would you like to make meals with your children? Have a little bit more, like teach him about that. Mm. Um, put together a a uh, a day where you are cooking with them, and they're excited about this new tool that you know mommy and daddy daddy got, and we're going to be cooking together, and we're going to be you know picking vegetables and making. I mean, you can bake, pay, pay, uh, create a story around that. Mm. Or if you're a single person, well, how about uh, learning how to cook? XYZ and using, you know, your spatula or using your cleaver, using your chef knife, or I mean, you name it. If you believe in the product and the product is of good quality, I mean, the story will fill itself, but you have to obviously be passionate and creative about it. And what about this, your story? So the reason you started the knife company or the t-shirt brand or mm-hmm. whatever it might be, yeah. right? That's probably important too. That's or your story, piece. your story's on your website. Mm-hmm. Right. You, I loved, you, you know, that resonated, you not resonated. It was curious when you said uh, sales is my second language that piqued my curiosity. I'm like, well, why? How is why? that? <laughs> what does that mean? Tell me more. So, yeah. right. So is that important as well? I imagine. Very important sometimes to weave in um, why you're doing what you're doing. Why is, are you so passionate? Why is this your calling? Why is it so close to your heart? And most of the time, you know, people have personal stories about what is it that they do. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or if they're working for a company, they believe in the values that this company has and why they they chose to be um, a steward in 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 a believer in a you know in and talk about it. Totally. And the truth is, whether you're selling a product or a service, if you're an entrepreneur. It is not a cookie cutter formula and it's not a straight line. There's so many ups and downs. So you're already passionate about it. And so infusing who you are, your story and all of that seems like a natural part, you know, that you should do. Like you're, you're not just doing it just to make money. Right. Anyone who's doing this stuff is doing it out of some level of wanting to be of service. So Mm -hmm. you already have one of the most important pieces of the puzzle that you talked about, which is really you know, wanting to help and serve. Like you can't mm-hmm. just go out there and sell just for the sake exactly. of it. No, because it's, I mean, selling is like any other job. It gets, it gets old, right? right? But if you're not, if you're not doing it for a particular reason, yes. you know, you're not going to continue to move forward. The money's not going to be enough, like, like enough motivation to do it. Um, and I just wanted to throw out the last tip. Yeah. Tip number three yeah. was uh, really, really, really get good at your follow-up. Follow-up is not optional. Follow-up is part of your process. Yeah, say more because this is so key. I think it's true. People don't hear back. They think, well, I guess they weren't interested, right? No, it's just they're, you, you they're got busy. them on a different buying yeah. time. So, so how my, do you follow up? Of, yeah, follow-up. The majority of my business is done through the follow-up. And I even say that you know having a follow-up process is literally uh, – um, you're, 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 you're basically bringing in an, an, a money strategy, income strategy, because you're going to make so much more money, uh, by uh, being effective in the follow-up. I mean, after uh, up to 50% of business is done on the follow-up. So if you're thinking about, Oh, I'm not making enough, or I'm not hitting my goals, or I'm not doing exactly what I want in my business, then you should think about, uh, introducing a follow-up, uh, strategy in your business so that you can continue to, to obviously make more income. And so do you help coach women around how much to charge? Yes, that is, that is, you know, sometimes I I say yes, because it's, um, I feel like women undercharge. That's why I'm asking. Oh my God. They do. I think every single of my clients I've, I've tweaked their, their, their charging, uh, how much they're charging and their pricing. So what advice would you give around that? That's, I think this is a, you know, an important area for selling is being able to charge for the value that you're giving. Yeah. You know, I I think that charge, not charging enough. And it's so funny because I'm going to be doing a Facebook Live today on this. <laughs> it's going to be around shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of it is in, intertwined with, if you think about it, the shame of asking for more money. Mm-hmm. And then you get into maybe the money conversation. Where am I in my money conversation? Do I feel guilt by asking for it? Do I have a hang up over it? Do I feel I should not deserve this? Do I... so? the, the asking for you. Yeah. We can look at what you're doing and what is the impact that you're making directly Mm -hmm. and charge, you know, accordingly. But if you're having a little bit like, Oh, you know, you're charging maybe 1500 for a service that should be 4,997. And that makes you cringe. Well, why, Mm. you know, what, what, what about it? Well, nobody's going to pay. Well, you're never going to charge what you don't think people will pay because automatically you are deciding their purchasing power mm-hmm. already before they even say yes or no. 
And that's inner work. That's a lot of the mindset work. And I think that unfortunately, unfortunately, in some ways, sales, because it's so intimate, because it's so, especially because you're selling something about you, Mm -hmm. uh, all your everything, all your, your doubts and, 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 um, uh, thoughts of, 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 uh, uncertainty and I'm not enough comes up. Yeah. And if you're not strong in that area, if you haven't made the, have done the inner work about why this is coming up, you're always going to hit a ceiling because you're always going to feel that you can't charge X, Y, and Z because you either don't deserve it. They're not going to pay for it. Who am I to charge this? I mean, and the list goes on and on and on. So how do you encourage women to get tap into those limiting beliefs? Just journal about it? Like, do you give them an exercise or to create well, awareness? Um, so let's say money, for instance, specifically. Yeah. On money, um, we talk around, and I there is a, a book that I would love to, for people. I would invite them to to read it or to hear it uh, from Jen Sincero. Sincero. Yeah. Yeah. You are bad. That has to make you money. And I think there are a couple of things why, the couple of reasons why I recommend that book. One, because it's a woman. Two, because she's talking about finances. Three, because she was broke as a joke. Four, because she had the same hangups and mental hangups about charging more money than mm-hmm. any other woman, right? Mm-hmm. Five, because she did it. And six, because she's become a success. And now she evangelizes why, you know, you should do X, Y, and Z, why you should charge more. Mm-hmm. And she gives you a lot of different exercises within mm-hmm. the book. Yeah. That mantras, different things that you can do, identifying where this is coming from. Sometimes we're operating, Michelle, from, you know, uh, an, an operating system from when we're, we were very, very young and it's we true. were here, our parents, you know, talk about money. And then we inherited the way that they see money and we don't know know why we have this hang up around making money, but you're, you're the, the way that we uncover it obviously is having curiosity, not judging yourself for it, obviously seeing it as a third person. And then what would be, if you can make, if you could charge whatever would make you feel very happy, what would that be? And just sit with that number for a second. Yeah, that's then, so good. Yeah. And start and start thinking around, is this make me feel disgusting? Is this make me feel unworthy? Is this like, what are, what are the feelings that are coming up? Because that is basically the inner work that you need to address. So that those things are not stopping you from making the income and having the life that you desire. And do you think part of it comes like with you, it came, the confidence came with the doing, right? As you've mm-hmm. had success, it gave you more confidence to then go the next time and the next right. time, right? Right. And then there's actually some science behind it. In psychology, there's called what, uh, there's this term called the confidence competent loop. Mm-hmm. The more competent you become in something, the more confidence you become because you're doing it over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. So once you identify where you're at, and then you know that, well, the nervousness or the jitters are never going to go away. I just have to like call my buddy up, you know, my courage and say, let's do this. You know, we're in this together and then do it enough times where it becomes much more familiar. You remember your brain is trying to keep you safe. And if right. something is not feeling right, you're going to be like, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. But if you override that and you move into doing it, then it becomes familiar. Mm. Now it becomes a safe space. Mm. So, so you do have to do the work. That's right. I think we do, right? <laughs> Even if we don't want it, we yeah. got we do have to show up. And um, so, is there anything that I didn't ask you today that you think would be beneficial to the women listening around sales? You know, I think that the I would love to give the analogy of an athlete, 
an athlete, doesn't matter how much you read about something, how much you watch videos, what hear podcasts, you can collect information, but you're never going to give yourself a true assessment of where you're at until you get out there and you practice. And then from there, once you do it, and once you realize, oh my God, I was not as strong over in this area. Oh my God, I was really good in this other area. From there, start building on where do I need to get better? Do I need to understand how to have a process? Do I need to understand how to qualify? Do I need to understand, you know, how to address concerns, not handle objections? I hate that word. Mm. How to address a concern that my client has and how to build that into my presentation. So, but you have to get yourself out there and practice or else you're always going to be in this like starting over phase and you're never going to get ahead. Yeah, there'll be no traction. That's great advice. Um, So I'm wondering, how do you define success? I think success has to do with how happy you are with what you have. Mm. Not in the further, like, once I I have this, I'll be happy, is being grateful and being happy with what you have at this Mm. moment and building from there. So I feel like I'm a rich and successful person because I have health. My family's close to me. My husband's close to me and, and I'm healthy. So that's success for me. Love it. Um, what would you tell your 20 something self about life? It's all going to be okay. Uh, and what do you think your 80 year old self would be telling you right now? Looking, she's looking back and wanting to say, Hey, I'm, I'm on this end of it now. What would she tell you, Julia? I'm so glad you kept going. Oh, I love that. So good. Um, yeah. so can you leave the woman listening with your three mm-hmm. best tips on living a good life? I think, um, honoring your, your body honoring your, your, like everything that is you, what you love and what you like, accepting yourself for who you are, you know, you're unique. And, um, I'm going to steal this from Sarah Blakely because I thought it was so great. (laughs) (laughs) She's come up twice now. (laughs) You know, life is not a dress rehearsal. Mm. So live it fully. Love it. This has been so great. Thank you so much for your time. Where can I direct the women listening to learn more about you and your works, Julia? Yeah, so um, you can obviously uh, check out my website, juliaandrews.com. I've uh, just started this uh, amazing uh, Facebook group where I do weekly trainings and it's completely free at uh, the art of feminine selling. Um in, in fa- on Facebook. And of course, Instagram, my name, juliaandrews.com with two M's at the end. Um, and what is it? Julia well. Andrews. What do you mean? Juliaandrews.com. But the dot com, it has two M's. Two M's. M-M. Okay. Okay. One, I'll link it in the show notes anyway. Can you just, you've touched upon it a couple of times and I want to just ask quickly, when you talk about the art of feminine selling, what does that mean? Feminine selling? Feminine selling really means about embracing your natural strengths of vulnerability and empathy and connection in a conversation, as opposed to feeling like that is a no-no and that is viewed as weakness because it's not, it's a powerful place to be in. Love it. Yeah. And so you teach according to feminine selling. So you came from a patriarchal system within (laughs) Merrill Lynch. And did you find that you were more successful with your feminine selling versus the more masculine approach? 
Wherein I, um, when I left Merrill Lynch and I entered another space in inside of you know uh, the finance world, insurance and finance, I I built a process that had a lot of connection in it, and it allowed me to sell over two hundred and fifteen million dollars. Wow. And it was dealing with how to sell with to women and how to sell to men, um, looking at the nuances of what made a successful sell- selling process for my industry. And a lot of it had to do with educating the, the buyer, you know, having, having the role of an educator, um, having empathy and vulnerability in the stories that we would tell. Um, and I didn't see a lot of my counterparts doing that. And it wasn't like it was championed even though we were doing very well, Mm -hmm. uh, the majority of a very masculine uh, environment looks down on that. Mm -hmm. They see it as weak. They see it as weakness. They see it as as like, oh, wow, like that's not, you know, a commanding way to approach a sales conversation. But I beg to differ. And that's one of the reasons I decided to make the leap and leave and and, and kind of, you know, be a little bit of a renegade and just (laughs) kind of do my own thing. And I think this is the future. And I actually had another guest on who talked about slow business and the art of feminine energy. I did a solo podcast on embracing your feminine energy. I think there's a rising happening in awareness. Women are stepping into their power. They're remembering the the power that is the feminine. And as women, we don't need to adopt a masculine paradigm in order to be successful. Yeah. We are doing it our way and doing it better, if I could, I think. We're doing yeah. it better. Yeah, so that's so great. Um, thank you for such a beautiful conversation. I wish you the most success. I just think you're fabulous and I'm grateful for your time today. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to be here with your audience. I really hope that you enjoyed the interview today with Julia and that you walked away with some new information, awareness, tips that you can implement in your business. And if you know of somebody who would enjoy the content and what we talked about today, please take a second to share it. Remember that the show notes can be found at thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash zero four five. Before we sign off, I just want to encourage you to hit subscribe from your favorite podcast player right now. This way, every new episode automatically populates in whatever podcast player you tune in from. Now, if you're feeling extra generous and are on Apple Podcasts, would you be so kind to take just 30 seconds to rate and review the show? Getting your feedback is so helpful to me, and it actually also helps other women find the show. I'd love to know what's resonating with you. So thank you so much as always for your time. And I look forward to reconnecting next Wednesday. Bye for now.